Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by ZipRecruiter. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Their powerful technology distributes your job to dozens and dozens of the web's leading job boards, then identifies the right people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. My listeners can try it for free. You know where, ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Meanwhile, Belvedere Vodka, the world's finest all-natural vodka produced in one of the world's longest-running distilleries, crafted by a collective of master distillers. Belvedere made with non-GMO Polish rye, pure water, no additives. Recognized for quality, ISC World Vodka Producer of the Year, 15, 16, and 17 this decade. Enjoy a delicious cocktail with Belvedere Vodka today. Remember to always drink responsibly. If you missed my column about Anthony Davis on TheRinger.com, it went up on Friday. If you missed all of our awesome Oscars coverage and our post-game show, you can get that on Twitter, the Sunday post-game show with Fantasy Dobbins, Ryan Greenwald, also available on the Watch podcast. And uh, don't forget about One Shining Podcast this week, the March Madness. I call it the March Madness. It's coming up. And uh, if you want to know who to pick, Go with the dudes we had on Friday's podcast, Tate and Titus. They told you Michigan was a sleeper. Michigan won the boring Big Ten tournament. Congrats, Tate. I'm proud. You did it. Yeah, we did it. Go blue. Hang your head Hell high. Out to the victors. Um, we're not going to talk about fish sex movies today. Thank God. We are going to talk about some smart internet stuff. But first, in memoriam, Pearl Jam. It's a, uh, it's a boring time of the year right now. We're a week away from Madness. We just had the Oscars. Basketball, we're about two weeks away from award discussion. Hockey, eh, next month. Um, baseball hasn't really kicked in yet. We're going to talk about internet culture. Charlie Warzel from BuzzFeed. Hey there. We've circled this podcast for a while. Yeah. Um, how long have you been writing for BuzzFeed? Almost five years exactly. And your job has... Uh, evolved over that time and over the last 18 months i think you have one of the most interesting jobs of any writer right now with the stuff you're covering um not just some of the biggest companies we have not in america but in the world but also like the impact that it's having on day-to-day to society is genuinely frightening you wrote a piece i think two weeks ago about the information apocalypse yeah and by a guy who had warned us about the fake news phenomenon and this guy is basically like, things are really bad. Nobody understands how bad they are right now and where this is going. But this is, we are in a true danger point. When when you publish something like that, does it come and go? Do people read it for a day and then they move on to another thing? Like, do people realize the impact of that piece? So that one was actually, I mean, it's really an outlier. Like, really and truly surprising in terms of, I usually feel writing for five years for like an internet-centric publication we, you know, I have a good sense usually of how something's going to travel and yeah. the impact it's going to have. And this was, you know, I thought it was really interesting. This guy scared the shit out of me. Explain, when I talked give to him. the 30 second synopsis sure. of what he said. So, this uh, researcher, he's an MIT grad, incredibly smart guy named Aviv Ovidaya. Uh, he is a, you know, has worked for some of the tech companies in Silicon Valley. He had a, um, he quit his job about, four months before the election because he was just sort of noticing that like the incentives 
structure of the internet. It basically rewards sensationalism. There's no real checks and balances to these companies to make sure they're not, you know, allowing people like say, I don't know, Russia to, uh, um, you know, advertise on the platform and try to influence the outcome of an election. He sort of saw this stuff very in a very vague way. And since he's in Silicon Valley, he's plugged in, was talking to people. And he said, holy shit. And so he actually gave So a, what's, when he has the holy shit moment, where does he go? Who does he talk to? He started talking to some like research institutions. He talked to Columbia University. Uh, he's doing some work at the University of Michigan. But mostly he was trying to talk to the people at the companies, at Facebook, at Yahoo, right. at YouTube, Google. And he gave a couple of presentations in Silicon Valley. One of them was in October before the election, and he called it the Infocalypse, the Information Apocalypse. Great name. Yeah. You, you Not know, as good as Carmageddon, <laughs> which we had out here, which I thought was a great title, but the yeah, it's boy, that one's good decent too. portmanteau. Um, and so he uh, he gave this presentation, and it was sort of like these guys were like, "Yeah, it's interesting. There's no real hard science behind it. It's a gut feeling, like you know, good name, and uh, yeah, sorry." And so, would you like a free meal at our giant cafeteria? Right, exactly. See you later. And so, um, and so he was, you know, he was pretty dismayed by that. And then, obviously, the election happened, and he he basically said that, you know, three, four, five days after, he started to get people calling him up and saying, "Hey, hey, you know, this is going on. Um, we believe you now." And so, I met him probably, I don't know, a year after that or close to, and the first conversation we had. I always sort of ask people, you know, what keeps you up at night? Yeah. Because I just think that, you know, um, people are usually very guarded when they answer that. And he just like out the gates just started saying all these things, started talking about these terms that he was coining. Like, you know, uh, one of them is called uh, automated laser phishing, which is basically like instead of getting those like crappy, you know, phishing emails or Nigerian prince email scams, it's like an AI generated um scam it's like an email that's coming not just from someone who looks like it might be your mom or your brother or your sister but it actually it's coming with information from them that's pertinent to the conversations you've had my mom and my wife have almost gotten nailed by this a couple times now Now, it's it's really getting more and more sinister and imagine if you know so say it was with you it took all the information from all the columns you've ever written all of your tweets, all of those things, and basically put it into a learning algorithm yeah. and then spit out information. So it's talking like you. It's, you know, it's sending an, you know, an email to Tate about something that was, you know, in your guys's email Tate would know. Tate's too smart. You can't fool Tate. He's from Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it's just basically like what he was saying is you think it's bad now. This is, you know, we're in the first inning here. Right. Well, I've noticed um, people have been writing about what's happening in porn Yes. Not to go blue, yeah. but there's this whole um, genre of porn that's emerging, and it's really only been the last few months where I think they even have a name. It's like fake. It's called deep fakes. Deep fakes. Yeah. Everything- and so it's like, here's Scarlett Johansson. She's finally finally did a sex tape, but right. it's they figured out how to digitally put her face on somebody else, yeah. and it looks like her, and this is like the creepiest thing that's ever happened. Yeah. Uh, so there's a sort of like a... A maxim on the internet, which is that like all technology kind of starts, like all the great technological innovations of the internet start with porn, right? And then sort of like bleed in everything <laughs> and then else. Move everywhere yeah. else. So, uh, so that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, there's these. It's a, it's a 
subreddit that Reddit has gotten rid of now uh, called Deep Fakes, and it's basically oh, thanks Reddit, yeah. thanks for getting rid of that. Uh, but they have they have like a they have a non-porn one, which is just called something else fakes. I don't know what the name is, but like where people are taking they're putting Nicolas Cage's face on every like old movie star so like right. you know Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator clips with Nicolas Cage's face yeah. and it's fun and it's interesting but like when you kind of zoom out back on that you're like oh any dipshit with 80 bucks and you know a decent processor and two hours of spare time to learn this can can do that I went on YouTube and I watched a tutorial I mean it's not point and click easy yet but yeah. it's like anyone who wants to can start to do this and the whole nature of you know, artificial intelligence and it's like machine learning stuff is basically that it's going to get better faster and faster exponentially. Well, and the fear is, I mean, it's a fear now, but like, you know, you could put anybody's face on a porn and stuff like that. But eventually we're going to get to a point where you can take the audio of somebody or, you know, you could even hack into their email with audio or hack into their Twitter or hack into anything. And you could do it with somebody who has real power and pretend that they're saying something that they never said, which, you know, yeah. with the worst case scenario of this would be we end up in a nuclear war because of something that was a deep fake. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and also, like, the thing that's really scary about this um, for, you know, for Monday morning is the, is the combination of all of this different stuff. So you have the audio manipulation. So I can say manipulate. It sounds like, you know, your wife is leaving you a voicemail that's, like, very urgent that needs you to you know i don't know send money or do do you or know, Venmo come to me this something. place i'm yeah. come here in 10 minutes and you go there and five guys are waiting for you and they rob yeah. you and, and it's just sort of how all these things piggyback off themselves and that's that's the true sort of scary thing is all this happening in tandem and then what it does and what this guy aviv was telling me is it creates this thing that he's calling again he's very good at coining terms reality apathy which is basically like if your entire inbox is really high level good spam you can't differentiate between, you know, an email from someone on your staff to, you know, whatever. Then you're just eventually going to stop checking your inbox because it's just, it's too hard, you know? Or we end up almost like the email version of Google Docs mm. where only people who have been approved to email you and have some sort of a cryptid, encrypted email account, those are the only emails you get, which is weird too because that means... You'd never be able to hear from anybody outside of your little bubble, and we would our bubbles would become even, you know, right. more intense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, and there are ways right now that people are thinking of, you know, to encrypt things or like digitally watermark something really good. Like that's sort of what a lot of people who are into like the Bitcoin crypto like space think they yeah. can use that technology to to do that to authenticate. But it's also what's striking is you talk to some of these people out there who seem like they should be the experts and they're like, Oh, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know what we're going to do. It's like, yeah, holy shit. You know, like we're just, we really are with a lot of this technology, just making it up on the fly. And that's great for like, for innovation, but it's like, you, we're seeing what this is doing. Well, and the there's no criminal, months. there's no criminal ramifications really at this point. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's no law being written. It's not like the administration we have right now, not to get too political, but it's not like Trump's going to be like, I got this, guys. Right. You know, yeah. like I was looking today. So we're taping this Monday morning and there was a story that Brian Windhorst wrote on ESPN.com about the NBA and about how Adam Silver is proactively trying to figure out how to help high school basketball. 
like this is now a crisis. I see it. The AAU culture is messed up. Um, college basketball, that culture is messed up. Nobody likes the one and done. Um, there's it's rampant cheating, and we're doing a disservice to guys who are eventually going to come into our league and might have 15 year careers and are going to have a- or be assets for us. Mm-hmm. We have to get involved now. We have to get involved at the high school level. I mean, he's laying out the blueprint for um, complete change with the with how we know basketball. Mm-hmm. I don't see anybody in our government even having the wherewithal or the foresight to do. I'm not just talking about Trump. I'm talking about anybody. Democrats. Like who is the de- – people always complain about the Republicans and Trump and all that stuff. But it's not like the Democrats have emerged. Like these great voices have emerged on that side either. Who is going to be the voices that fight for this stuff? I mean it's it's re- <coughs> it's really hard. I – so this, that story that we initially talked about, I went to Washington as like the first stop in that story. Yeah. Didn't end up using anything because the meetings that I had with people were just sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, we're thinking about it. You know, there's no real, I think like the State Department just announced there's like going to be a cybersecurity initiative thing, but it's very vague. It's very It would weird. seem like there's, a cyber department would be the single most important department this country could have at this point other than Homeland Security. It's it's, I mean, it's really wild when you talk to people. Not only is not only is there just like the bureaucracy element of, of Washington, but there's just like <laughs> this idea that it's not it's not even on their radars. And and I think we kind of saw a little of that a lot of the senator like uh, Google, Facebook, um, and Twitter came in front of Congress in yeah. October and had to testify about all the Russia stuff. And I mean, they were awful, but uh, but you had a lot of you had a lot of senators you could just see were working through like the very basics of this and like really hung up on like Russia advertising on Facebook. And it's like, okay, you know, they spent, I don't know, 180 grand or something. Yeah. Complete drop in the bucket. The real problem is all the stuff that's, you know, not coming from a, a state government. It's all of the other like morass of information and crap. And so what I, I mean, what I saw there was sort of like, you have a lot of people who are trying to come to terms with this, but we have, we're sort of in this in-between sort of generation of a lot of lawmakers right now that sort of like maybe didn't grow up with the internet necessarily. And they're like trying, trying to understand this, but we really well, we need people it. who are like, Trump doesn't use the internet, you know, like, and yeah. I, I was thinking about this sort of, you know, the other day. That should be sort of uh, not trying to be political about this at all. Just as a statement of fact, the leader of the free world should know how to use the Internet. Probably. That right. just seems like a qualification that makes sense to me. It seems like for anything to get fixed, changed, solved, anything, um, we're going to need the power brokers in this country to get together. Like I think a very small example of what we're talking about here is, is after when the Me Too stuff broke. And eventually we're talking about how do we treat people in the workplace and Bob Iger, Zuckerberg, all these different people, they formed that. I forget what the committee was called, but there was like 20 of them and it was 20 of the most powerful people we have in America. And they were like, we're going to start a dialogue about this. Let's try to fix this. What's crazy to me is those same people haven't decided to get together and mobilize behind this info, 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 (laughs) Apocalypse? Infocalypse? In- it almost sounds a little dirty. So because little this weird. is, I think we're going to remember this decade. It's 2018. We got two years left, and then we go in the 2020s. I think we're going to remember this decade for social media and fake news and 
And uh, and those would be the two things that stand out when we're like, oh, what was that decade about? And it was like that was the decade when social media became out of control, and we lost our minds. when we lost our minds, and when it became possible to make up something about anybody. Like I look at, you've been writing about a little bit about um, one of the Parkland high school kids, mm-hmm. David Hogg. Yeah, that's his name. Is it Hogg or Fog? Hogg. Hog. Yeah, Hog. yeah, David Hogg. And anytime this happens. I go to the Reddit conspiracy page. I, right. I don't take I don't take it seriously. I'm uh-huh. always, always kind of interested to see what people are flipping out about. I have some JFK assassination conspiracy theories, so I, I always go on there to see if they're talking about that. And they're adamant that this was some paid child actor pretending to mm-hmm. be a Parkland high school student. And now Reddit has to keep taking it down. They have to put something at the top of the conspiracy page. There's YouTube clips left and right about yeah. this kid. It's like Dark. this is some poor 17 year old kid. Who just watched 17 of his classmates get gunned down. And this is how we're spending our time. Um, I don't know. It's, I, I just think we're in a dark place. It is. It's super dark. I mean, it, there's, <coughs> I think, too, that, you know, the sort of conspiracy stuff that, that you find yourself interested in, JFK, like that stuff has taken such a dark turn with the internet. And it's sort of, I, I wrote about this after the Boston Marathon bombing. And all that stuff that was happening on the Reddit, you know, yeah. find Boston bombers conspiracy page, and it which, it, which by the way, they they claimed to find the guy, and it wasn't the person. It, yeah, and it, it's just this huge, like it was on the front page of a New York tabloid, their you know botched investigation, and I really thought a lot then about this, the rise of internet internet vigilante detectives, and right. it's just sort of it's become this thing that I guess people feel like they they have some they've been trained on so much access to information for the last, I don't know, decade. And there's sort of this expectation now, and it keeps getting more and more intense of, I need to have all the information right now. It's like with the um, the Devin Nunes congressional memo thing that happened yeah. for a while. It's like this idea that like, no, even classified information, I deserve to have, you know, access to that. And it and that combined with sort of the communities that you can build around anything on the internet and sort of the unmoderated nature of it, it just creates this like really dark, weird situation where people are just like, if it doesn't make sense to me, then there's something wrong with it and I can find 20 people and we're just going to go nuts on it. Well, I always feel like there's an art form to it to some degree. I hate to use the word art, but where you take something that there's a seed of doubt and you just blow it out. And I always felt like 9-11 was the sea change moment for that. When people were like, you know, you have hundreds of witnesses and it's broadcast live on TV, a plane going in a building. And then you have people like, no, the plane didn't go in the building. Yeah, It's like, what? The plane went in the building. There was people underneath it who watched the plane go into the building. There's videos from all different places. Um, But I, I think... It's got it's gotten weirder and weirder and weirder, and yet at the same time, you mentioned how people feel entitled to have this information. I felt that way when Trump didn't release all the JFK stuff. Yeah. There was that last group of of files that it was like, all right, these are the good ones. These are going to be the ones that prove. I've always thought the CIA was involved with killing him. I think there's a, a shitload of evidence that says that they were, and it was like, here we go. This is, and then. Trump, for one of the rare times in his presidency, actually kind of backed down and didn't do it. But I get it. I get the feeling of being entitled to get information. But it seems like this loud minority slash 
I'm involved with all these other people who see something that I see and let's all get together and we'll go get this person or we'll go get the truth. It's getting scarier. And the, I, I like the internet vigilante thing. It's good. Yeah. Have you written, you should coin that one. I, I wrote something, you know, in like, I think 2013 or but uh, it's gotten so much worse, you know, and, and you see it in this like really in web like, vigilantes. Yeah. It, uh, you see it in these weird ways to like that are that are productive. Like, I don't know if um, you saw the Netflix documentary, The Keepers, which is this like came out over the summer. It sounds and, familiar. And it's these women uh, from like Baltimore or outside of Maryland who there's like a, a Catholic high school. Preschool oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like these 45 year old women basically like start a Facebook group. It's like, we want, you know, justice for this thing. We want to, and finding, found all these different survivors. And basically like, you know, these, this documentary crew followed them, but it's the same sort of like, the the great thing about the internet is it's this like value neutral thing. Like people are always now on like, oh, the internet's bad or the internet's good. And it's just like, no, I mean, you can track down, you know, old cold cases of, you know, rampant child molestation in a school or you know you can call the parkland teens crisis actors it's it's you know it's all depending on how you use it but we're the one constant is that we're getting more sophisticated at constructing these narratives and making them more appealing to more people i don't want to embarrass them but tate's in a group um this group that believes that Coach K fakes his injuries when the team is <laughs> no, that good. No, I started the group. You started, started the group. <laughs> I, I didn't want to out you as starting yeah, it, I but started he started it. it and uh, Coach it's, K deep It's fakes. in the deep, 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 deep web for Reddit. We have all types of videos. All types of videos <laughs> of like him claiming to have a back injury, but yeah. he's playing golf that same week. And all Dubbed that over audio. It's amazing. <laughs> oh man, this is a uh, loose change. The um, uh, the the Parkland thing, which you wrote about yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah. Um. That was one. Every time there's a school shooting and then conspiracies start after, I always think about like, what if my kid was at that school and my kid got gunned down or shot and I'm searching for information three days later and I'm completely traumatized. And then I find this place where people are telling me either A, it didn't happen or B, one of my daughter's friends was a crisis actor. Mm -hmm. And I can't even imagine the pain that would be. And we're just not, we don't seem to be governing that and we don't seem to really care. Yeah. And I don't know how you govern it. I don't, I don't know how you govern it either, but I mean, I think, I think one, so what I wrote about with the Parkland teens, and I think this is like sort of the hopeful element of all of this is that, so I write a lot about like what I'm loosely called the pro-Trump media, which is like, you know, it includes a lot of the conspiracy actors, but it's people who are just like, unabashedly pushing the Trump agenda, everything yeah. you know, is good, and and trying to basically turn everything on the internet into a culture war. And not all of them, but some of the publications and personalities behind it really push this crisis actor thing, uh, including like Alex Jones from InfoWars. And, um, and when this happens, you know, people just rightly so get outraged about yeah. it and usually the people who are like being accused get really indignant about it again totally understandable and these teens were just like yeah screw you like you know and just like the term that people are use on is like just dunking on them on twitter and just sort of like you know like 
quote retweeting their stuff and just like adding some like sick teen burn, you know, just sort of like. I like when they when they do the words like when they talk about the kids and the kids like they write like kids. Yeah. Like like being condescending back at the people. Yeah. Gee, thanks with like, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, with like, you know, crying emoji, like laughing yeah. crying emoji. Like, and it's just this sort of like dismissal that it's really, it was really something different in terms of like how people treat these trolls because the trolls are looking for a reaction. People often, because we're so charged up right now and so, you know, so many people are just always upset that they, they play into that. They yeah. quote unquote feed the trolls. And these kids were just sort of like, they stripped it of all of its power. They were just like, like, oh, I, like, there's one girl who, when they were saying, like, oh, there's, you know, 10 crisis actors or whatever. And she's like, thanks for pointing out all my doppelgangers. I've always wanted to go to a party with 10 people that look like me. Right. And just like, LOL. And like, these conspiracy theorist guys, these shock jocks, whatever, like, they don't know how to handle that. It's a combination of trolling and sarcasm. I liked what you bait. That was a really good angle. I'm the king of angles. I respect the great angles. Um, but what you wrote in that piece, you're basically like, these kids were trained to do this. This generation that they're in, they've been watching trolling and they've, they have all these internet weapons that they've been learning the last six, seven years to just mock this stuff. Yeah. It's so like, it's almost like information gorillas. Yeah. It's, well, it's like the, the Bane thing. It's like, you know, you didn't like, I didn't adopt the darkness. I was born into it. It's like, yeah, I'm yeah, born yeah. into the internet. Yeah. You know, it's and, like, it's like, getting a glass of water from them to yeah, mock this stuff. It's a reflex. And and I so I think that there's two ways to look at that, right? One of them is like, it's really heartening. The kids are all right. The other is sort of like, the kids are are like born with information warfare in their DNA. Like, God help us. But, yeah. Like, it's like some of those people are going <laughs> to use their powers. Yeah. and and Not the Parkland people, but other kids who grew up the same way 10 years from now. Who knows? Yeah. And I, so, I mean, I think like we just, <clears throat> we just don't. We don't know how any of this is going to play out, but like that right there, that whole, you know, what happened at Parkland and in the week after, like it's sort of a preview of how the internet has really, I don't, this is just what I think about all day is just like, what is this? What, how is this weird social experiment that we've been on for 20 years? Like, how is this? affecting us in every you know well look what generation. happened with the nra though like all, all these advertisers that pulled out including a couple that have sponsored this podcast and it happened because of the pressure that was started by the parkland kids and mm -hmm. i think when when all of this was going on we were hoping that at some point somebody was going to use a real tragedy like this as a platform to try to change some things about the country that aren't good mm -hmm. um like not to get too far into guns here, but I, I think it's crazy to be able to buy an AR-15 that anybody can go get one and be able to get off 200 rounds in one minute or whatever it is. I, I don't even understand the counter argument for that. I get the whole point of, of arming yourself and guns and that's a whole different debate. I just don't understand why somebody needs 200 rounds of anything. That's not like fighting a war for us. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the way they were able to really, really push and fight back was was inspiring and I, I think we'd kind of been waiting for somebody to do this and now we have this march on march 24th and my fear is that this eventually dies down and then it goes to something else on the other hand emma gonzalez has like 1.2 million twitter followers yeah. now and she probably had what 40 uh, like yeah. a month and a half ago so right. something's happening well this this speaks to what we were just talking about with with the teens like you know if you 
I'm I'm not trying to bring Logan or Jake Paul into this really, but like oh, I want to do that later. So sure, yeah, but, I'm, but I'm ready in, to have that talk. But in terms of you know understanding how to make things go viral, like understanding that culture, living in it, growing up, having that be like the main thing that you consume for entertainment. Those like the problem has always been post these shootings, these these things is like you said it just dies out after a couple of days. We just have to move on because that's the way that news and whatever our psyches, whatever, how it happens. But the, like, that's what going viral, like what these kids, they know how to keep something going, how to keep it alive, how to just keep it in front of our faces. And that's, you know, that's the real testament. That's the thing that it's harder for people of, who grew up with a different type of media and news cycle, it's hard for them to keep up with that. It's hard for them to know how to make it fresh and new every day. It's, but like these, these kids, and I'm sure, you know, like I, I know that we, like BuzzFeed reported that a lot of organizations have like kind of glommed onto them, you know, sort of been like, hey, how can, how can we, you know, help you guys out? But they're leading the charge because they know how to make this relevant and just never like let it, die out of that spotlight i mean and maybe after the march it'll just have to but they're doing this great job and they know it's just it's really just like manipulation of you know of a news cycle and they're using it for a really positive thing i don't know if it dies down because it's too easy now to you know it's the era of the loud minority it's too easy now to really mobilize for good or for bad and in this case for good in a lot of ways um you can keep that going. You can keep pushing and you can keep, you know, um, applying pressure. My question is who's actually going to listen to the pressure? I think the pressure is going to be there. Mm -hmm. Does it actually change for the better? Are there any, not to get too weird, but are there any conspiracies out there that you actually find yourself going, ah, I can, I can see a little bit of that one. Cause like for me, um, I see what's going on with the coverage of the Vegas shooting these last few months. And it's like, it is kind of weird. There's no, there's no videos yet. They haven't released a lot of information yet. Yeah. And I don't, I don't feel like there's been a lot of transparency with what happened. I still don't totally understand what happened when they actually shot the guy. What, um, mm-hmm. Why haven't they released some of the stuff yet? Or may, maybe they shouldn't, maybe it's too gory or whatever, but it doesn't seem like there are a lot of answers. This is hard for me only because I, so like my, I follow a lot of like these professionally for for, um, these people who are these conspiracy theorists and a lot of them are are, are dark people. Yeah. Um, And so like my Twitter timeline is like half, you know, like mainstream and half just like way out there, which is tough. Um, But it's hard for me because I see the same people who, put forward those questions who have a lot of those questions say about Vegas. And then, you know, the next moment they're, you know, berating somebody, you know, right on social media about something strange or, you know, calling someone a cuck or something yeah. weird like that. And so it's just hard to like square those two things with, Hey, there's something that may, you know, maybe doesn't add up with these people. But I think, I mean, I think what I spent uh, some time, last spring profiling Alex Jones, who's yeah. like, you know, America's conspiracy theorist in chief. And I listened to hours and hours and hours of his broadcast. Oh God. And 
I mean, we're talking like a hundred hours of his broadcast and would drive around listening to him on the radio. And he's, I mean, he's really, I don't want to use the word genius, but he is like the way that his you mind. You can use the word effective. Yeah. He's so effective at piecing together these things, at taking something that like is completely understandable, something that we just don't know, that we're not allowed to see that. And, and he's able to spin it. It's, it's so great how he, how he constructs these narratives. And what he also tends to do too is he knows now, and all these people do on the internet, these internet vigilantes, they know how these cycles work so they can preempt things and gain credibility. So they can be like, you know, oh, I think, you know, in, in the next two months, there's going to be a huge school shooting because we need another false flag or something. But they just know yeah. because there's probably, because we have a problem in America. Uh, there's going to yeah. be, and they use this to gain these little bits of credibility. And so like, I was going back through the research and there's this like seven months or six months or something before 9-11, Alex Jones went on the radio and predicted something at the World Trade Center was going to happen. And so that is like held up by people who believe him as like, he knew. But he knew. But he's pro- he probably predicted 300 things, yeah, right? Yeah, you just, you know, you take a lot of shots. Yeah. And, and nobody remembers the misses. This is, that's kind of what Skip Bayless does. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is, this has been adopted. There's definitely like conspiracy theory, like bleed into the mainstream in not harmful ways necessarily all yeah. the time. It's just like, it's like part of the hot take. Yeah. You know, culture of everything. So hey, we gotta take a break to talk about March Madness. Speaking of madness, March is here, which means one thing: it's bracket time. Yahoo Sports Tourney Pick'em, the best place to fill out your bracket, all through the Yahoo Fantasy app. Joining a public group is easy, or create a group and play with your friends, or join Draymond Green's group for a shot at twenty-five thousand. Don't know your college hoops? Choose one of the autofill brackets. Pick coaches with the highest winning percentage. Or party schools, or totally rebel and pick least popular picks. There's no wrong way to fill out a bracket in Yahoo Sports Tourney. Pick them. Tate. Yeah. You doing a one shining pod bracket? We are. We made one. You made one. Yeah. Can people enter it? They have to wait a week, right? No, you can enter it now. Sign up. It's we we one on shining podcast. I think it's something like that. I don't know. I didn't make it personally, but a All group right. has been made. Check out uh, at one shining pod, which is our Twitter handle for that, and you can go head to head. Against Tate and Titus. Mm-hmm. I don't recommend it, but you can do it. Don't miss out on March Madness. Get your bracket in before the games tip off March 15th. Also, speaking of Yahoo, fantasy baseball in full swing. You play fantasy baseball, Charlie? No. A lot of fantasy baseball in Montana? <laughs> um, there's a lot of like minor league baseball in okay. Montana. Uh, it's time to start thinking about your fantasy baseball drafts. This is the greatest fantasy baseball year of all time because the Angels have somebody who's a pitcher and an outfielder, Otani. And nobody knows what to do in their league. Does he count as one person? Do we split them up? Flex your skills as a real GM. Crush your league with the Yahoo Fantasy app. The number one mobile app in fantasy baseball. Draft trade. Manage your team right from your phone. The new weekly scoring format makes it easy, even easier to run your team all season. Use the set active players feature to set your lineup for the week in one tap. Sign up now at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball. Create your own league. Join a public league. Do whatever you want. Don't miss out on this baseball season. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball, the official fantasy game of Major League Baseball. Would you say that we're in peak conspiracy culture right now, Charlie? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I imagine it's only going to get worse. Uh, 
I'd love to know when this started. It does feel like JFK was the seminal, the first time everybody kind of looked at each other and said, wait a second. Because then you see like the movies in the 70s, which had to do with, I think, the JFK assassination and, and some of the other great people that were murdered that decade. And then on top of it, Watergate, Nixon. And then you look at this era that of movies that people were pumping out, basically from like 73 through... 79 and three from three days in the condor all the president's mm-hmm. men all these kind of somebody's marathon man i know something the bad guys are coming to kill me and it's been going ever since and now we are in conspiracy culture what's weird is we don't have movies yet that have really effectively i remember mel gibson made a movie that was actually called conspiracy, conspiracy theory, theory and it yeah. wasn't very good um but I it's so. i wonder if there's i wonder if hollywood is now going to move into this whole world i mean they should. This is always like the, not always, but this is one problem I think with the internet is how it's tough to translate it to TV. You know, like a bunch of online vigilante detectives. Who computers don't leave are their tough. House. Yeah, computers are tough. <laughs> like, as we found out in Black Hat. Yeah, there yeah. you go. And so, yeah, but I mean, it's it's totally ripe for it. I mean, I think it's fascinating. You know, if you look at, there's just been so much interest in like in Watergate with that, like there was a the Slate podcast, Slate podcast yeah. about it. I was jealous um, of that one. You know, then you have like a lot of people rewatching and talking about and writing about all the president's men. By the way, Cinemax is definitely trolling everyone. They show that all the time. <laughs> I feel like they bought like a lease of all the president's men. They're just constantly putting it on. I mean, and, it, and it's, it's actually getting better somehow. 43 years later. It's very, it's very relevant. Um, and, and, you know, like even, the post sort of has like a little bit of a, of a yeah. feel in that. Um, it kind of half-assed it, but yeah. And and I wish they had gone further. And so I think that I, I do think that you know with the success of something like Spotlight, like I I think there's going to be like a lot of journalism stuff to maybe come out of this, or some sort of enterprising like. I think political thrillers, we're going to see, you know, some, some more of those because even if, even if they're fictional, I don't mean to get dramatic, but do the, the people you're writing about are incredibly powerful and wealthy. And in some cases you can make the argument that they're making their, you're making their business look bad. Like, do you worry about your safety at all? No, no, no. Um, I think, no, I mean, no. Can I can I worry about your safety? <laughs> sure, if you want. I mean, these I think if we're talking about if we're talking about like the the pro Trump media types like the Alex Jones types of the world, I mean, this is the, the difficulty of writing and reporting on them in any way is they're looking for attention too. So you have to find the right way to do this. Like to, you know, like I've had to write about, you know, like neo-Nazis a couple of times. Like um we had those people in sports too. I don't want to name any <laughs> names, but the any attention is good attention. Yeah, philosophy is is pretty dangerous. And so what you have to do is you have to figure out like how to bring this to an audience, contextualizing it in the right way, not giving them what they desire. Um, when you know, I like have some sort of balance and fairness at the same time you're crushing them. Yeah, I mean, like the at the I talk to a lot of people who don't talk to a lot of other mainstream journalists. And the one way that I've sort of gotten my, like in with that crowd to some degree is that I just simply like, I ask them, so like, how do you want to be identified? Are you alt-right? Are you this? Are you that? Are you, you know, pro like, and then I just, 
I say how they want to be identified and I qualify. Yeah. I don't immediately call them a Nazi because, you know, they voted for Trump or something like that. And that's it's, a good philosophy. I like that. And it's just, you know, it, so they get to be called what they want to be called. But yeah. then I also wrap it around all this context of like, so this guy says he's, you know, part of the quote unquote new right. And he went to Charlottesville and he did that. You know, it's like, so to some extent, there's, it. it's not actually that hard to, to do it, but there's a reflex right now in a lot of reporting to, you know, to be, to have like a real perspective on some of this stuff. And sometimes really all that you need to do is to shine a light on it and just let people, you know, um, make up their minds. And that's sort of the way to get them to talk. Um, who do you think, let's go YouTube versus Facebook versus Google. Who should be the most ashamed of their performance over the last two years? Google owns YouTube, so. Um, well, I'm talking about like. Oh, oh Go- the, in terms of the, the mechanism of Google, yeah, the three services. Because I would argue Facebook, because it seems like they knew the whole time. Not to sound like Mark Ruffalo in Spotlight, <laughs> but they knew. <laughs> um, it, they definitely knew what was going on, and they just kind of all looked around and shrugged their shoulders. At the same time. <laughs> YouTube is really a dark place and you know, some of the child pornography stuff that was going on that you yeah. wrote about that, yeah, right? Yeah, we revealed but that was that was going on in the now this is where the Reddit conspiracy page does some good. They were on that they were on that yeah. child porn stuff early. I had no idea. It's terrifying. It was like honestly the amount of content that was just on there that they did jack shit about, they should be ashamed of themselves. I feel a lot like the Mark Ruffalo character these days, um, <laughs> a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have sort of two different things. Like Facebook has sort of created to me a culture of um, it, Facebook has sort of changed the internet. It sort of subsumed the internet to some degree. You know, it's just like it's so many people's actual experience, and I don't think that they've done enough thinking about. The ramifications of that, especially with younger kids. Especially. Like I look at the stuff my kids watch, and you know, I wait till they fall asleep, and then they go, I go in their YouTube history and stuff like that. And <laughs> it's it's relatively tame, yeah. but there's also stuff in there. I'm like, shit. Yeah. How do they find that? Yeah, yeah. And so that so YouTube to me right now is sort of my my front runner um, because I really feel like the as you were saying, how do they find that shit? The recommendation algorithm in YouTube is, especially for conspiracy stuff, it's just, it's like an automated rabbit hole. You could like, put like fake strangling kid. I, I put Go in, find that. And then it leads to like really a fake strangling of, of a seven-year-old kid who's screaming and seems unhappy. Yeah, but it, it's even, it can be even more insidious than that, right? Like I, after the, um, after the Vegas shooting, I was like, okay, how do we, how can I get in, how quickly can I get into a conspiracy theory with something just like reasonably you know tame so i just typed in hillary clinton and like the first video that comes up is you know her on msnbc or something fine two later i'm in like you know conspiracy sort of like hillary was being injected by her bodyguard you know because she had i don't know parkinson's or something like that during the campaign and then you just keep going and then it's just like you know hillary's israel and palestine conspiracies like it just goes it doesn't even have anything to do with that anymore and that is one thing on a you know on conspiracy topics but it works for any like you know 
any video that you. Well, the benevolent do. version is when you're searching NBA games or clips, and it's like Michael Jordan. Oh, here's 1997 Game Five. It's like, hey, I want to. Okay, I'll watch that. And, and that's what we like. That's the fun part. That's of the joy of the internet. Yeah, that is, and that's sort of like, that's what they've been selling. And I don't mean that in like a you know a shitty way. Like that's what these social networks are selling. That's the product. This like this great experience. Like things that you know going down a Wikipedia rabbit hole and learning about all this different, you know, random stuff. Like, that's wonderful. The cop-out is put in your information if you're over 18. Oh, yeah. Which, by the way, my son is 10 and just says he's 18 and then he can watch it. But there's some dark shit on YouTube. Like, there's a politician, I think, like 40 years ago. Now I'm going to tell this story and people are going to search for it. But this guy who on a live news conference just shot himself Mm -hmm. and killed himself. Mm -hmm. And blood is like, it's disgusting. Mm -hmm. And... It's on YouTube and it's still on there to this day and it's very easy to find. I do not recommend finding it. It's really horrible. Um, but there's a lot of stuff like that. Now, when you get into the realm of like the Reagan assassination attempt, mm-hmm. should that be on YouTube? Like, yeah, actually, maybe it should. It's a, It was a really relevant news event. It was one of the transformative moments of my childhood. I think it would be weird not to have it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But there seems some sort of line, and I don't trust YouTube to d- delineate what's the line. It's it's so hard, um, and I think I mean we just don't understand yet, or we have no sort of ground rules on the particulars of moderating stuff on the internet. Because as you said, it, you get you get to a point where there's many clear cut things, right? Like an ISIS training video, (laughs) no place on YouTube for that. Right. Right. But then you get into sort of like, here's a guy talking about, you know, the like differences, parsing differences in Islam in a sort of like a, a political way. And it's like, well, is that, you know, is that kind of speech? Is that okay? Is that, and again, I'm speaking sort of out of my ass there on that, but in, on every subject as you know, even, even with, videos geared towards kids there's always some sort of gray area sort of line there's tons of people whose jobs it is to toe that line producing content you know like how titillating and exciting and weird can we make a video for kids that's kind of messed up but it's also okay but you know but they're gonna want to watch it and be freaked out by it like there are people who have turned that into like a cottage industry that makes thousands and thousands of dollars a day yeah so what do, what do you do? And and the fundamental problem right now, and I think what scares me the most about YouTube, is that 400 hours of content are uploaded every minute. Like, what do you do? But somehow they have at least put um, pressure points in for porn and stuff like that. Yeah, and they what- have they have some sort of technology that it's like if you download a porn scene on YouTube, that it goes down pretty much immediately. So why don't they have that same technology for other stuff that is damaging? I think it's because they're so because of these weird gray areas, and they're. So, I mean, all these companies. I talk to people inside them. I talk to ex employees about all this. Like I, I started covering all this stuff because of harassment on Twitter. I started writing about that after. Yeah, like the Leslie Jones oh, know, yeah. incident. That was horrible. And and everyone is just like, when you work at these companies, you're so afraid. They're so afraid of of censoring someone wrongly, you know, of being seen as, you know, saying, well, you know, because they believe X, Y, or Z, we have to, you know, like, we have to kick them off. Like, that 
yeah, there's the a freedom of, of these, speech part. The founding that, of these companies too is based off of this sort of utopian vision of the internet, you know, of this like very flat system where, you know, you can upload something from the ringer and it can get, you know, as many views as dude uploading a video from his basement because he's got a really, you know, like great point of view or something like that. Or and a six-year-old kid opening toys. Yeah. Which is one of my friend uh, Chris Williams, his company Pocket Watch, their breakout star has been this six-year-old kid. I think it's called like Ryan's Toys. Wow. He just opens toys. Yeah. And people love it. And it makes a crazy amount of money and, and the views are insane. Yeah. And I guess that's the benevolent version. The dark version is like you know, a, a variation of that, but it's like sure. some crazy uncle pretending to kill the kid each time. Sure. And that's on YouTube. You could probably find that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you can find, you can find anything. Um, and, and again, it's sort of, it speaks when you go down these sort of these roads on this, you can get like your mind just gets scrambled because say the unboxing video, right? It's a kid doing this really harmless thing meant for other kids, all good. And then all of a sudden you start seeing like creepy comments from, you know, dudes with sketchy mustaches saying yeah. like, hey, on the next video, can you do this, this, this? Yeah. It's like, or, you know, you wear this a, kind of shirt. Unbutton a shirt. And it's yeah. like, so, okay, what do you do there? Obviously you delete the comment, but so now you know that like these videos are, you know, fulfilling some kind of weird thing for somebody else. And it's like, well, so does that make the video bad? No, but we clearly have a problem. And it's like, I mean, the... It all speaks to the scale of these platforms and what's been built and the idea that like we've never had to deal with any of these problems in this type of way at this volume at this speed and with such like serious consequences. So I don't I like I I truly sympathize with these companies and the people there who I know are good people trying to figure out how to deal with this but at the same time I mean like my <laughs> unpopular opinion right now when I, when I get into some of these like reporting quandaries and see some of these things and hear people talk despairingly about it I'm almost just like pull the plug <laughs> you know yeah. like it's just like I don't know how else to solve this and obviously we're probably not better off doing that but it's also there's one way to solve it it's crazy and it was it's a way that's been sitting there for 20 plus years are you gonna solve it, the internet <laughs> no I don't I think it might the ship might have sailed at this point but in the late 90s, it certainly seemed like something that should have existed. And then it definitely seemed like in the 2000s. And now it's probably too late. But think about it this way. You need a driver's license to use a car. You need to pass basic competency tests to get on the road. We do not do that with the internet because the appeal of the internet is what you just said about it's a utopian paradise. Mm -hmm. And everything is based off this idea that, oh, this is great. It's the information highway. But the way that it's been misused and ruined over the last 20 years makes me wonder, what if we did have a driver's license for the internet? Mm -hmm. What if everybody who was on the internet, it was traceable, um, all your stuff, you, you know, you had everything you posted on, you had your name and your ID and you were easy to find. And would that make the world a better place? Again, now this is a utopian idea because it'll never sure. happen. But yeah. there was a point in time where it feels like that could have happened. Maybe. And now that time's gone. Yeah, it's definitely gone. I, I think, I mean, the closest thing to something like that, and it's obviously not quite like that, is what some people are doing with like the 
you always hear it like in the tech world, like the blockchain and this stuff. Like it's yeah. basically like creating a decentralized system of authentication. And that, that you know, again, can you is, explain that for 20 seconds? Oh Cause some God, people may yeah. not understand. Yeah. That. It's going to be tough. Um, basically like the, the blockchain is, and I'm going to get this wrong to some extent is a, cryptographic system that basically like any anything that you do creates a transaction and it has to be verified and it's unique Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of like a lot of people it works right now for like for money for things like that you know like i can see that transaction that you made i can never alter it i can never change it i can trace it back to your unique id yeah and it's like applying that principle to everything so you know maybe to the way that we browse the internet and so i mean do you have that a little bit with you know some of the technology behind the internet where like your ip address where you're coming from you can spoof that the blockchain's idea is that nobody owns it it's decentralized nobody can change it or alter it and uh and anyone can see it and so if you apply that just very broad principle further out into the internet there are a lot of there are a lot of people who talk about that technology as like internet 3.0. Mm. So we had like the wild west sort of internet of the message boards and just like you know yeah all this all the AOL and the portals and all the fun stuff of the 90s and early aughts. Then you hey, have some of, of us are still on AOL. Be hey, careful. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Went out on Friday. My, uh, <laughs> our our editor in chief at BuzzFeed has a theory that's. Um, you can always tell who powerful people are by their email address. Like if you have like a, if you have an AOL or like a, like a hotmail email address, there's, you know, one of those things from like the nineties, it's like you got popular enough. You meant enough that you like, couldn't change your email address. You were too important. That's what I try to tell people, even though I'm just lazy. So so there you go. I mean, just start like, there's a, by the way, AOL has never been hacked. Do all these DC power players, have AOL email Yeah, addresses. I bet Obama's on AOL. <laughs> I mean, no, I, maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Who knows? Uh, so you'd know better than I would. So that was 1.0. What was 2.0? 2.0 is this, you know, like the social, quote unquote, social yeah. web. It's all these platforms. It's sort of like look at know, me. The reason why people don't go to, you know, like don't have a homepage. Essentially, you're getting everything through your social feeds, and it's chaos, right? Um, and so, like, you know, the next idea is sort of like this authenticated type of web and right now it's kind of it's not a joke but we're in this like phase where like in the tech world like people are changing their their startup names to like something something and then just adding the word blockchain to it and getting you know like 10 million dollars thrown at them by investors because nobody knows yet what it is and it's really got this like bubble mentality behind it Hmm. but there is this sort of like underlying hope that like maybe we can find a way to sort of take away, you know, the chaos a little bit, keep it free, keep it open, but make make people more accountable. Mm-hmm. Huh? Good luck. Yeah, exactly. Jesus, how did you get it? How did you get involved? Just quickly, what's your backstory getting involved with all this? Is this always what you wanted to do? Is write about the internet, or did you run write about something else? I I mean, I just kind of wanted. I was just watching people like starting up blogs and stuff like that, and I kind of missed blogs a little bit. Like yeah, like. I had my own, but it, uh, you know, nobody read it. I was like in college. Um, and I kind of just wanted to be involved 
some way. And so I didn't really know. You want to be in the mix. Yeah, I wanted to be in the mix. Um, and no, I mean. But I, did you know you wanted a report or did you know? I'm I'm not. I mean, it's very, it's very vague. Like I just, I too sort of think of what I do is like, it's definitely reporting. I'm talking to people all the time, but like angles and like framing things yeah. and big picture ideas are like, that's sort of always what's important what I've gravitated towards and what I really loved. And I think, you know, I kind of like fell into the tech thing, but I've always just been interested in media and culture and like technology has always just been a cheat for me. Like, I don't, I don't really care about the new iPhone or what, you know, like I don't care about the gadget side of things like that. And that's, but that's, of, that's what tech writing became for a while. And that's with yeah. at the ringer. We didn't want to do that. We wanted to write more big picture and angles, stuff like that, because we felt like, that was a real inefficiency and it's something that you've exploited better than anybody. So we like, this is what drew me to Buzzfeed to write about tech. Cause I wasn't really writing about that at the time. I was writing a lot about politics and stuff. Um, what drew me was this idea of like, we're going to treat technology as culture because yeah. it's shaping culture so much. So, you know, finding that lens, I think led us to do a lot of weird stuff in like 2013, 2014, like uh, my colleague Joe Bernstein, this guy, he was writing about video games, and then the Gamergate thing happened. Yeah, and I was, um, I was editing our tech section at that time, and there was just this general like, yeah, f- like just follow that, you know. Like he knew it, I knew it. Do you our- think that was the seminal moment for all the stuff we were talking about at yeah. the beginning of this podcast? Yeah. It seems like there's before Gamergate and yeah. then after, yeah, and then everything after makes sense in the context yeah. of Gamergate. Because it, it, it rose up into like the popular consciousness. It was one of those like fever swamp things that broke through. I was super late on it. I, don't, I never even did a podcast on it. I, was, I thought it was one of those weird internet things that had momentum. And I, I never really fully understood the ramifications until late. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think a lot of people did, but... I'm not sure people... St- there might be people like people like my mom. I don't even think she knows what it is. I mean, that's, that's a good case for a uh, like a really good internet style like documentary or something yeah. you know like a real because there's been a lot of writing online writing about it but good writing and reporting but you know something that's sort of more palatable to people who are a little bit offline um i mean that's i think that that's a story that we're gonna see or hopefully we do but but that like when we were writing about that early on it was looked at as like sort of weird sort of like you know why are you devoting your time? Why do you care about this? And now it's sort of like everything, every culture war on the internet is Gamergate, just, you know, DNA Gamergate. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And so I think, you know, I felt like I was sort of toiling on the fringes and for a while and then everything kind of shifted to the fringe like that. And so I just feel like the fringe became mainstream. Yeah. And so I feel like, I feel like, this is kind of, there's like a real urgency I feel every day, not to sound like, you know, an ass, but just that it, everything about all this feels really urgent. It's never stopping. Um, and, and I think that that. Well, it's definitely not stopping because it might, <laughs> might start a war. Yeah. And I think it's just because, you know, this like technology is culture and it's proven now. And it's, you know, I mean, I'm a, technology writer i write about politics i write about media i write about you know all like tons of different things but they all intersect and they all yeah everything you know so well i i think about it a lot 
one because it's my job, but two because I have a a daughter that's going to be 13 in 2 months and I have a son who's 10. And I watch how they use the internet. I go on their accounts after they fall asleep. Like <laughs> I want to make sure nothing weird's going on. And uh to say that this generation is different than mine. I mean there, there's you can't even compare them. It's like yeah. it might, I might as well have grown up in the 1820s. But then even their generation versus a generation like Tate's generation, even that's completely different. And you could argue their generation versus a 19-year-old is completely different. And kids really use social media to interact now yeah, in ways that it's almost more important than actual interaction yeah, in some ways, which if you're a good parent, you're working on your kids so that you're taking their phone all the time and you're making sure that they develop people skills too. But I worry that I worry that there's a huge part of the generation that's coming that are only going to be able to interact through their phones, their devices, and computers. And then the social part of it, they're going to be going on dates and just kind of what are they going to? You're on a date, you're just texting each other, sitting across from each other. Like we might be headed that way. I, I'm concerned. We yeah we I mean the the crazy part is that we don't know right and. What I think is really interesting, what you were just saying, is that there are also these, like, within the generations, there are these super micro generations. Yeah. Like, it changes, like, every three, four years. Snapchat doesn't really, I've ne- I don't really go on it. Like, it's bad as a tech writer that I'm not really, like, plugged in necessarily. But it's just, like, it wasn't a thing when I, like, that any of me or really my close immediate friends adopted. But I have friends that are 18 months younger than me. Yeah. Like, you know, a year in college, two years in college difference. And it's like, for a while, it was like the most important thing in their world. And it's crazy. How that old are you? I'm 30. Tate, you mm. care about Snapchat? 24? No. Your friends? Really. Yeah. You never people, really trickle to the South. Yeah. Everyone's on it. Everyone's <laughs> on it. Everyone's on it, but we just don't use it. <laughs> South is like, yeah. Don't get they look down on Snapchat. Yeah, we're Come okay. on. South's old school. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I don't. It already seems like Instagram over the last year. I'm just judging this from everyone in my kid's school, and I live in California. Obviously, that's not the same experience as somebody who lives in Oklahoma or right. Montreal or Boston or whatever. But it seems like Instagram, once they shifted to stories, Instagram is now the dominant institution now for like 14 and under. Interesting. I with mean- the pictures... Um, and then now there's this whole culture with how they all deal with each other with like, you put a picture and it's six of the friends, but the seventh one wasn't there. Their feelings are hurt. It's just, it's all these games that it's like Hell. chess. Yeah. We were playing checkers when I was in high school, you know, it's like, Oh, caller. Well, the stakes are just, the stakes are just higher, you know, like, yeah. cause it's so public. It's so visible. Um, but I wonder like, does Instagram realize the power they have over kids now? I think I think that all these companies in the back of their mind do, but I also think that they can't, again, I, I probably shouldn't be speaking for them, but I, I think it's very hard to, you get paralyzed when you, when you start thinking in that way, yeah. probably as, you know, as the leader of a company, as the guy making the product, you know, and some, at some point, and this is where we get into this, these problems is it's like, well, we just got to put this thing out there, right? We've got to see how people are going to use it. We'll try to back, back it down, back it off. Um, well, I think people make the mistake of assuming people people in high positions are competent. <laughs> and uh, the reality is <laughs> they're usually not. You might have a couple competent people, but 
you have a ton of people that were either promoted three spots too high or weren't competent mm-hmm. to begin with. Mm-hmm. I was telling you before we started the podcast, like I came from ESPN where in, from like 2000 to 2013 was arguably the most successful media company in the world. And inside the company, there were a lot of incompetent people. And it was always shocking to me. I was like, wow, I can't believe we're this successful with this person there and this person there and this person there. And everybody's five years behind whatever is actually going on. And Mm -hmm. you see this with sponsors. You even see this with podcast sponsors. Like now all the right brands are like, wow, we got to get into podcasts. Mm -hmm. We got it. We got it. That's a great audience for us. And it's like, it was a great audience in 2012. You guys didn't see it yet. Um, and I, and I worry like with Instagram, with Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, it's people that five years from now are going to be like, hey, we got a problem. Well, so we're seeing that, uh, first of all, yes, we're all, everyone's just acting on, this is like the on the fly more than, more than ever before. Again, I don't have that much perspective, I guess, but it really feels like, I guess the stakes are higher as we were saying, but people are, are totally acting on the fly with all this technology. Um, but I, I think right now what we're in is we're in sort of a bit of this reckoning. Um, maybe not like fully as like, you know, America or, but like certainly in the industry, there's like a big tech quote unquote reckoning. And it's the thing that I like Facebook is saying, you know, trying to change some of the metrics of how, you know, they want to, it's like called time well spent uh, Twitter on last <laughs> Facebook Thursday. seems like they change their mind every two months. They, uh, hey, here's our new plan. They yeah, all these companies love to do that because it's a, I mean, they're really good at, at PR and at press and making, making it's, they're great at crafting. Come initiatives. here. This is going to work. Yeah. Uh, Twitter last Thursday announced that, you know, they want to start figuring out a way to monitor the health of public conversations and do more to make conversation in public on Twitter healthy. Oh, really? This is Thanks Twitter. Yeah, it's 2018. Yeah, yeah exactly. That would have been nice 8 years ago. Yeah, well, it's like how they ran an, you know, ran an ad uh last night at the yeah. Oscars that was Sorry. like women we want to hear your voice and yeah. like meanwhile like any woman who's speaking on Twitter is being berated by yeah. neo-Nazis. Would have been nice moment. if they ran that after the Leslie Jones disaster, which it's, was what, 2 years ago? Like yeah. Yeah, 2 yeah. almost 2 years. Oh, whoa. They the thing with Twitter like the verified accounts, which in the old days was, I remember when my account got verified, I was like, great. This is like a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. I have a real account. Now it's like the, you, you're seeing, you wrote about these verified accounts that are stealing Bitcoin money. It's like completely, it's almost like they need a second check for like a, <laughs> this account's really verified. It's going to be like a, like a. Mate, a general in the army with just a whole bunch of yeah. like Yeah, I want like a five check account. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an OG. Give me five checks. I mean there's it's there's a there's a there's a real problem and these companies right now are I think trying trying to figure out and trying to figure out how to message this idea of we're working on it. We realize that something's wrong online. We are probably somewhat the cause. We're working on it as a start at least. Yeah, but at the same time, and I, I wrote about this the other day, these platforms, like the prom- the reason why Twitter is toxic and you know awful and abusive and chaotic, but also a really good vector for news and, you know, part of like these serendipitous moments and conversations and things like and that. And shared experience. And shared experiences 
it's because it's designed that way. Like yeah. it's that's what the system's supposed to do. It prioritizes scale, sensationalism. Like the whole metric of it is like I'm gonna say a thing, and there's gonna be no friction in you amplifying that message. Like it's that's an the whole unbelievable point. promotional tool too. Exactly. Self promotion. Yeah. Well, um, I owe my career shared to experience. Guaranteed. Yeah. And I saw it in 2009 with my book, when uh, and I had only gotten on Twitter the end of April in 2009. And did not have a ton of followers early, but I, I could, I just, I was like, wow, this is really going to help me because I noticed that Amazon would have those things when it's like you crack the top hundred and your book's suddenly 50% mm-hmm. off. And I would, I would tweet about that. I was like, my book's 50% off. I didn't care if people got my book for half off. I just wanted people to read it. I think my book company probably cared, but I was like, go to, go to Amazon right now. My book's 50% off and like, Hey, my book tour is coming up and I'm going to be here on Mm -hmm. September 28th and whatever the dates were. And the power of that platform, I could, I was just like, wow, this is, this changed the destiny of my book and all these things I wanted to do with it. And now we're almost 10 years later. The self-promotion part is still there, but all these other dark, um, yeah. pieces of it have and, emerged and the self like that the good part of that is is by design and the bad part is by design so when you know it, that's with facebook that's with youtube that's with all these things so like when they say we're trying to do like we're trying to have some sort of overhaul fix it feels like the only possible way to do that is to like strip the guts out of the system to like take away like what makes twitter twitter yeah like, i don't really know how you square you know healthy productive good conversations with you know the idea that anyone can post all this stuff and like and again this idea of like the flat internet where anything can can be amplified like that there's one way to do it it's driver's license no that (laughs) you're all about verification no no no. uh you make people pay for it and you get 10 tweets free a month and after that it's 4.99 a month that's how you fix Twitter. If you really want to fix Twitter, make people pay to use it. I mean, and they could still get there. You could do 10 tweets a week. You could do five tweets a week. You could do 10 tweets a month, whatever limit you wanted to have. And then everything else, it's like, if you really want to go all in and tweet, pay us. But then, yeah, then it's just, I, you don't I, like that idea. I just, well, I mean, they'll just net it. it will I know they'll never, never do happen. it, but I think it would work. I think the best idea that I've, that I've heard. And again, the verification system's kind of wonky right now is that, if you can prove who you are, like, you know, send a driver's license. But we like just that. talked about deep faking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, this is, this is again, everything is like a terrible Gordian knot of complications. But if you can do the, you know, it's not just journalists or celebrities or whoever, athletes who have the verified accounts, but just anyone who can prove who they are and authenticate that. And then you just have that as like the tier. And yeah. then the rest of the stuff is like it's not really getting promoted very much. It's, it's in the like minor that. leagues. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have a minor league sort of thing, and that to me, I mean, there's problems with that, right? But it's also it's a good way to make it so that you don't have all the trolls screaming at you all the time. Got to talk about credible student loans can completely wipe you out if you don't get a hand on them. How do you do that? Credible.com. It's an online marketplace for student loan refinancing. And using their simple platform, I have a great idea for a Twitter merger in a second. I Not to sound to like it. Mike Greenberg. Coming up, I'm going <laughs> to tell you the merger that will save everything. Uh, credible, it takes you less than two minutes to find out if you're overpaying in your student loans, and you could save thousands by refinancing. 
All you have to do is visit Credible.com slash BS. Answer a few quick questions right now. Right away, you'll get real rates, not ranges of rates, from multiple lenders, completely free to use. Checking your rates will not affect your credit score, so you really have nothing to lose. The average user who refinances through Credible.com saves almost $19,000 over the life of their loan. Think about what you can do with $19,000 for a limited time. Our listeners will get a $200 welcome bonus when refinancing through Credible.com slash BS. Pay off your student loans faster. Lower your monthly payment. Whatever works for you, go to Credible.com slash BS. Here's, have you ever thought about the craziest mergers that actually make sense? I just came up with this idea, and I think it's like one of my five best ideas of 2019 so far. Twitter merges with TSA. TSA, TSA has all has all these <laughs> two verification wonderfully systems. run companies. Two wonderfully, co- <laughs> but TSA has all the information. Twitter can throw them a little money to make TSA better, and they join forces. And now it's like to join Twitter, I have to have a TSA card. Now everybody, now this is gonna work. T- and they merge and they become Twitter TSA. Twitter TSA. Yeah, there so we go. Bas- so then the government owns them, right? The government owns Twitter. Oh, that's not a good idea. All right, scratch it's that idea. Kate, I was fired up about that idea for like two and a half minutes. I liked it. Twitter TSA? Yeah, it was good at first, but then the government. Do you have TSA? Yeah. TSA pre-check, baby. And now I have clear. <laughs> you can get... You can... I have TSA and I have clear. T- Twitter TSA clear. <laughs> Well, Clear is a private company, right? So yeah. There's, there's your Maybe that's who they should. Twitter and Clear. <laughs> All right. Twitter Clear. Twitter Clear. I mean, it sounds better than Twitter. Twitter Clear. Say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can get we, another check by your name. We did not hit uh, Bitcoin, which I want to talk about really quickly. Sure. Bitcoin, which I was always a little suspicious of. It just seemed, I, anytime something. Rightly so. Anytime, anytime <laughs> something's too good to be true, I don't know if it's the half Italian in me, but I just kind of kind of take a take a sideways stare at it. And now it seems like Bitcoin's going to a dark place where people are just getting kidnapped and and people are stealing their stuff and it it's not going in I'm, a good I'm, direction. I'm going to argue Oh, you're the going opposite. the other way. Okay. The like big a lot of Bitcoin's baggage right now is it's like dark web origins, you know, like the the Silk Road like dark web marketplace where like people were buying drugs and you know, it's taking out hits on people. So you're buying you're buying mainstream Bitcoin, you're buying stock in that. Yeah, I mean, okay. oh, I, I mean, you should just buy Bitcoin probably. Uh I yeah, That's true. I guess that would be that would kind that of would stock in Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Stock. Actual um, Bitcoin. But I mean, I think I think it's a really we talked about like the tech that blockchain technology thing behind it. I think like that's interesting, right? I think yeah. that that means that it's not because there's so much promise behind like the technology that underwrites it. I think there's I think there's going to be staying power. Like that's not going to that's just not just going to go away. Like maybe yeah. the price will plummet or something, but like it means that there's something there. And it's not like we're going to wake up tomorrow morning and there's just like, ah, remember that experiment, Bitcoin, it's over. Like, I've, I don't, I just find it really, really, really weird and interesting. And I just, like, I. Because we've created a new currency from scratch? Yeah. And the the culture that's, that's gone up around it. It's also, I mean, just from like a, all the, all the gamblers I know in my life are uh, like, it's, it's fun. You know, it's like, it's prospecting. It's, it's, um, a real culture has grown up around it. I'm probably the only gambler who's not into Bitcoin. Maybe I'm just getting old. I think, I mean, I think that it was really hard back in the day. Like, so one of the things about being a technology writer is almost every person that you know has some sort of 
Bitcoin experience, like when good or bad, when it got really exciting and weird and and strange in 2013, and people were first starting to hear about it, and it was like 28 bucks, you know. Yeah. There's like, I don't know, I probably know two or three people who were like, yeah, I'll buy seven, you know, and put it in a wallet, and then just like, you know, walked away for four years, and then came back in December, and we're like, oh, it's it's eighty thousand dollars, just yeah, out of thin air, you know, like. There's all those kinds of stories, um, and that's really, really fun. But I, I'm I'm really interested to see where it goes, and I think that I think mostly for the technology aspect of it, but I also think just we don't get we've gone through such an era of like shit apps and sort of like you know like the like Twitter, Facebook, all these big internet companies kind of came about, and then there was like the whole listen to my elevator pitch about this, you know, crummy dieting app or whatever, yeah. all this stuff. And it was just like, we've had a long run of sort of kind of boring innovation, so to speak. And this is something that's like, hey, like imagine a different f- form of money. Like, you know, imagine just this decentralized sort of like almost like anarchic vision of the future. And like that to me is just at least from a cultural standpoint, pretty fascinating you just made the case for snapchats snapchat stock when you're talking about the lack of innovation so think about it we've only innovated how many platforms over the last 20 years facebook twitter mm-hmm. youtube snapchat none of them were created in the last five years mm-hmm. there is no like if you're doing a draft pick, like if if I'm in basketball mm-hmm. and I'm like, who's going to replace LeBron James as mm-hmm. the best player in the league? I'd be like, well, Giannis could do it. Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. You might see Ben Simmons if mm-hmm. he learns how to shoot. I would have all these candidates. There's no candidate for the next great platform, I don't think. Do you see one out there? No, because... It seems like now it's almost like their own little mini monopolies and yeah. there's not room for anyone else. But that's crazy to me. I mean, there should be another platform that that challenges them. I think this happens though, right? With with I mean, we don't have that much history to draw on, but I think this happens with the internet in in that it's it takes things get really big. You know, like I think it would have been hard to envision in I don't know, nineteen ninety eight or nine that like, you know, AOL was gonna be sort of meaningless in a couple you know in a, oh, in a decade maybe i'm right not, here maybe not. yeah you know but you don't you probably don't access aol by going to aol.com um, no yeah so but i mean i think i think these things you have these titans i mean that's the whole idea of like disruption right and then just like immediately is undercut and you know something else pops up and is ascendant it and i to me it doesn't feel that same way like you have the people laying in wait and training and waiting for their moment and they, they're going to take it. It's just usually like to like kind of tie it back to like those, those Parkland teens. It's just like somebody who comes up and they're just like, I reject the status quo. Here's my thing. Here's how it's going to happen. And just like throw it out into the universe. And I think that that's really hard to predict. Well, the trick for disruptors is occasionally they don't become disruptive anymore. And, because they're too big and too mainstream. And the key is to then buy another disruptor and add that disruptor to your mix. And you see like, (laughs) if Facebook did not buy Instagram, what is Facebook five years from now? 
it's really an interesting question. I don't know what Amazing the fuck happens to that place. Um, but that was like the AOL thing, right? AOL, instead of becoming the disruptor who then buys more disruptors to grow itself internally, it says, this is great. Let's merge with Time Warner. And that leads to one of the biggest disasters we've had. Disney's a really good example of this. Disney makes the deal with Star Wars. Disney makes the deal with Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, Disney's moving and trying to do things. Even Disney with Merrimax in the 1990s. Disney mm-hmm. creatively has been able to bring disruptors into its circle and yeah. kind of keep the momentum going. And that's something like Facebook did it with Instagram. But that if they don't keep doing that, I think they're in a lot of trouble 10 years from now. Well, the weird thing with with those companies too, given how they're basically, they've created a, you know, an advert, changed the advertising industry and made billions and billions more than they can probably, you know, for now, hold for now. But, um, but because of that, it's not like they even have to acquire anything anymore. Now it's like, you know, like Instagram stories is just, (laughs) they just Snapchat and they just like took it. And like yeah. that's sort of like a that's thing really that, smart and that evil, Facebook, but it was smart. It's a thing that Facebook gets kind of like you know, like shat on sometimes for, but it, it's also just it's it's good business. By the way, Jay Leno did it. that to David Letterman. David Letterman was kicking Jay Leno's ass, and and Jay Leno stole like the best four or five things about Letterman's show and just made it in his show. People were mad about it for a month, and then they forgot. Right. Yeah. That's and then it's like, yeah, I'm just going to do the same show you're doing, but I'm on a better network. That's totally how it works, and. So that's what's going to be really interesting about Facebook's future is that, and like, and Google and all these, like they, right for now, they have a lot of this money. They have the ability to attract all this good talent. Like it's going to be, even if this upstart, you know, really interesting new idea comes forward, like it can be cloned. We've seen it work. So by the way. I think it's a bad sign for the company I'm about to mention that we keep mentioning these platforms over and over and over again and we have not mentioned them yet. Who do you think it is? I don't know. There's one big kahuna out there that should have been in this discussion and was not. Apple. Uh, Well, you know... At least from a content standpoint, but Apple had a chance to basically own audio completely Mm -hmm. um, to get into the content game in a big way. And I know they're going to try. This is now they're belatedly trying to get involved with content. But with the iPad, with iPhones, with going back to the iPod in the mid-2000s, Apple TV, Mm -hmm. they have all the makings to just dominate. And yet Netflix has taken a lot of their corner, at least visually. And then Spotify took some of their stuff music wise and like what is what's apple going to be i don't know i mean to some extent you could say right if you look at the <laughs> the way that people are getting savaged right now these companies and yeah. and i do think that that will have an impact like right now public approval on a lot of these you know platforms is pretty pretty high like people still feel good about facebook as a brand because they use it. them in their everyday lives right. and as long as that happens those companies win but i do think that there's going to be like that's going to change to some degree if things don't change but you know like apple's left out of that discussion it's left out of the two of us you know talking and saying a lot of you know rough things and that decision right now at this kind of 
moment of upheaval to just sort of be like, hey, you know, we're a hardware company. We make these things. Like you enjoy the phones. You enjoy these things. We make these products well. We're obsessive about engineering. This is what we do best. It's what we've always done best. Like, well, then why buy Beats? Like some, that's yeah. It's like I. It seems like Apple can't decide what it is. I. I mean, I. Think, and mo- I don't think any of these companies can really decide what they are. The, Twitter's the only one who's really said this is what we are. We want to. We want to. We are there for immediacy. Yeah. We are there for self promotion. Yeah, live. We we want the everyone to have the ability to open a Twitter account. We have the chance to change elections. We're overseas. People are overthrowing governments, and this is who we are. But we don't know what we're doing. I yeah. I mean, I don't. Th- I think what's really interesting about that point is I I'm not sure that any of them can really. Con- control that like you know it's they don't know what they want to be it's like they kind of don't don't have a say in it almost to some degree yeah not not to take all the agency away from multi-billion dollar corporations but like it's tough it's these you put this tool out there and then as we have been talking about it's used and abused in a million unforeseeable ways and then you're basically left playing catch up all right we gotta go uh thanks to zip recruiter my listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. If you want to read more of Charlie, go to BuzzFeed.com or just search for Charlie Warzel column archive and all his stuff will come up. A lot of the stuff that we talked about in detail and, uh, and a lot of stuff about the information apocalypse, which is the most important thing going on right now. And you could also see some deep fakes of Charlie having uh, Charlie <laughs> and porn scenes, but it's not really him. So if you find those. Now, that hasn't happened yet. You'll know you're famous when yeah, exactly. When, uh, when, when that mean, happens. When but this was great. Show. I'm glad we did this. I yeah. wanted to save a little bit, some, some meat on the bone for next time. Cool. Yeah, Let's cool. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, we're back tomorrow. Stay tuned because um, what's becoming an annual thing, the Jimmy Kimmel post-Oscars podcast, we're taping it tomorrow morning in his office, and then we're going to put it up right after it's done. Me and Tate are going there. Tate's going to take his annual picture with Jimmy. I hope Jimmy keeps posting the, hosting the Oscars. Me too. Yeah, because last year's podcast was really fun. Me, Jimmy, and Sal, so get ready for that tomorrow. Until then. Bye.